Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. I like a little sugar on the donuts and a little sprinkle of snow on the land. Whatever excuse is given to us to start a fire. Well, I'm so excited to be with you today because we're starting a new series. We've titled it Travelers, and it's basically following God through challenging times. And all of us would agree right now today that we are in the midst of what everyone would characterize as a very challenging time. Can anyone say amen to that? Right. Well, life is a journey, right? And great lessons are learned in our own life as we travel along, but the better lessons are learned if we can learn them from somebody else, right? Now, and this is the reason for this series. I believe that great stories, okay, draw us and get us get under our skin. They draw us in. They get under our skin. And they allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to show us things. That's why we're going back to the Old Testament. We'll be spending time with characters in the Old Testament because they have more protracted stories that you and I can relate to. You see, these were real people living in their times with God. And you and I can take a cue or two from them. We need strong examples, strong examples. Uh, and we need to know this because we need to live not only in the troubling times, but through the troubling times. We need to know what to do when our political leaders fail us. Amen? We need to know what to do when economies tank, right? We need to know that God is there, really there, truly, and that He cares about us. We need to know that. There's so much to distract. Look, through this pandemic, all right, and destructive, highly divisive political climate, hopefully all of us are learning, okay, to put less trust in human promises and more trust in the promises of God. Now, humans are weak by nature. Even as strong as we pretend to be and as high as we lift people up, we know that they have, as the Bible speaks of, feet of clay. But in our climate, it seems that if we just had the right person, if we just had the right idea, if we had the, ju- uh, the right policies, everything would be perfect. The problem is that all of these pr- policies and all of these promises come from human beings. And I'm not against human beings, and God is not against human beings. But you don't take a baby and say, here's the car keys, go down to the store and pick us up some milk, do you? Is there anything wrong with that baby? Is that baby a bad baby? No. It's just they weren't meant for that task. And when we hold on to our culture so close and we throw at the keys and say, go get this, you need to accomplish this for me, not realizing that it's not meant to, only God is meant to. 
And that's what we see, my friends, when we look in the Old Testament, when we look at these characters. We're going to be looking at, in the coming weeks, Abraham and Sarah, and they'll be following God together. And then we'll move on to other characters. But I want them to become a part of our lives. Now is not a time for us to just sit around and pick and choose and try to find Bible passages that help me along today. We need to be firmly rooted back into the truth, our anchor set on solid ground, and let that become the standard for how we view the world. The Bible, God's Word, His Holy Spirit is promised to provide that. Those promises will never fail. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 says, All these people, he's speaking about all of this great cloud of witnesses, people who were following after God, these Old Testament examples. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have opportunity to return. Instead, they are longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Let us never forget that God is preparing a place, an ultimate place, for those who are called by His name, for those who are called according to His purposes, for those who are tired and weary of the promises of this world and are ready to receive what God has laid before us. Would you say this with me, this opening affirmation? This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome all He has for me today. By His Word, He guides me. By His Spirit, He strengthens me. By His will, He's transforming me. I am His workmanship his unique work of art. May his will be done in me today, and I receive it by faith in. Awesome. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for another beautiful day in, Lord, it's one of the most beautiful places on earth, New Mexico. We see the Sandia Mountains, Lord, and Mount Nacon. with each turn of the season that your shadow of blessing is upon us. Lord, as we embark on this new year, we know that you know the future and we can trust our future, an unknown future, to a known God to you. Lord, we want to lean on that. We want to take in all we can. We want to to experience Lord, that hope, that true hope, fortify us, Lord, 
Strengthen us in your might and your will. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, back to the beginning. We're going to take a little trek through the beginning. We're, we're going to cover just 12 chapters of Genesis this morning in 30 minutes. So stay awake. Verse 1, chapter 1 of verse 26 in Genesis. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all creatures that move along the ground. Again, he says in Genesis 5, he says, this is written account of, Ab- of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God, in the image of God, Imago Dei. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. Adam and Eve, we're told, were the first two human characters that we see in the book of Genesis. Um, before you think about all of the, you know, you know, ideas about whether Genesis actually happened, is it a story, is it a myth, was it true and literal, don't worry about those things. Here's why. The scientific method was not born at this time. We're looking at history and a story that was given to us. This was the first in our record of a story passed down, first orally, and then eventually it was written down. And so what we have to do is trust that this is truly from the God of heaven, and it is a true account of what happened. There may be interpretations in there, but the account of God's interaction and His creation of the world and humanity are all intact, all right? First of all, He put Adam and Eve into a garden. Adam's name literally means humanity. Eve's name means life. Humanity and life He placed in the garden. And he said it was good. In fact, six times during the God's creation, seven times during God's creation, he looked at what he had done and he said it was good. He didn't say it was bad. They were, Adam and Eve, companions with God. They were a unique, special creation. Out of all the creation, Adam and Eve were different because they were told that they spoke to God in the cool of the evening. God would call out to them. There was a relationship there. They reflected His glory. They reflected His character. They were image bearers, okay? And that was what they were called to do. God placed them in this place to be His representatives over the earth. God's ruling representatives watching over creating and flourishing in this world God created, and God said all of it was good. But God brings in a moral dilemma. In Genesis chapter 2, we're told that God, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, 
But you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will certainly die. You see, God gave a choice. And you say, well, wouldn't it be better if God didn't give a choice? We would have never sinned and we would have been perfect and all of this. Listen, I'm not God. I didn't create human beings, but there's some signals that I get that there, in order for there to be true love, in order for there to be real life, there must be a choice of some sort. There has to be a willful recognition that I will either do and follow what my Creator says, or I will move on. I will either choose His wisdom, His design, and just trust Him, or I will move on and choose autonomy. That is the big problem and has been with humankind. Autonomy, my own knowledge. Now, what was the temptation that came to Eve? Look, God knows that the serpent said, God knows that when you eat of the tree, uh, he knows that you'll gain knowledge, knowledge of good and evil. God's keeping something back from you. God already had maintained the knowledge of good and evil. He had presented it to Adam and Eve. They were just tricked into believing that they didn't have it. Because God says, look, you follow me, you listen to me, and that will be good. All that I have created is good. I put one thing in there, and I don't want you to touch it, have anything to do with it. Okay? There, there's that sense of evil lurking there, and will you choose it, or will you listen to God? And, and the choice away from him was a choice of autonomy. Okay? Here's the problem. God is very good at discerning between good and evil. <coughs> God is very good at knowing what is right and what is wrong. Mankind, on the other hand, doesn't have such a good track record. From the very beginning, even unto today, when left to our autonomous self, I am the final judge, I am the final arbiter, we as human beings are, our judgment as to what is wrong and what is evil is deeply, deeply flawed. Genesis chapter 3, this is what happened. They ate of the fruit. They figured out that they were naked. That put some problems between Adam and Eve already, some distrust. But then there was another issue. There was another consequence. So God, so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, angels, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. There was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but there was a tree of the, the, the tree of life. And, and that's where the statement is fulfilled when he says, you shall surely die. It wasn't an immediate death. It wasn't an immediate poisoning. It was the beginning of the demise of the human being that eventually it would die. Now, the antediluvian pre-flood people, or, or yeah, um, they 
were those who had experienced long life. If you read the Genesis record, it's pretty amazing how long they lived. But those who came after the flood, well, they were the ones who had a limited lifespan, and much like what we see today. All right, kicked out of the garden, the, the tree of life is guarded. By the way, in the New Testament, all the way in Revelation, eventually when all of this is over, the tree of life is flowing by the river of God in the midst of humanity with God and His people. That's the end of the story. That's the land that we seek. Back to our text. Violence enters in. Okay, there was autonomy, there was mistrust of God, there was banishment from the garden, and now violence. Cain and Abel, two brothers, one became jealous. The Lord said, what have you done? Speaking to Cain. Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. We don't have time to get into this today, but I will state this. There is a connection between following God and prospering in the land. There's a connection between trusting Him and believing in Him and, and, and being in the land. When there's violence in the land, you see the blood hit the ground and it defiled the land and it says His blood cried out. Make no mistake, my friends. God cares about every square inch of this planet. God cares about what happens on it. It's His property. And we have been called to reflect His glory and character in this world. And violence is one of the acts that is purely human, out of selfishness, out of greed, out of jealousy. And in that act, it defiles the very land. And Israel in its history would bear that out, that truth, that when they didn't follow God's plan for the land and His plan for the people, they would be kicked out of the land. There's not a disconnect between us and the land. You know that? We are very, very connected. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Don't let anybody tell that you, God doesn't care if you destroy His backyard. He does. All right. The violence continues. You have the descendants of Cain, a guy by the name of Lamech. He said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, this is his song he wrote, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. This was his world, and his world was plunged into violence, into darkness. That's the progression. Garden, God, trust, abundance, autonomy, kicked out, sadness, guilt, violence, more violence, more violence. You see, when man believes that he is the arbiter of what is good and evil. 
then usually his most baser instincts arrive and much damage is caused. Never God's intent, man's choice. In Genesis chapter 6, we have the flood account. There's so much there, we can't really touch on it. But one of the things that really struck me as I read through it this week was that God was sad. Here we have a picture of the sadness of God. He said, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. That every inclination of thought of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Well, let me give you some theological explanations to explain it. No, no, no. This is just God saying, I'm bummed out. This is not what I intended this earth for and you for, human beings. I had something more high, glorious, powerful, wonderful. But you chose the worst route, and I'm going to clean the place up. I'm going to clean this place up. I regret that I had ever made that. You have those decisions that you regret you made? God has them too. God was in relation to his, his creation, humans. But Noah, in verse 8, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God would take a whole new family, one family that trusted him, and rebuild and start over. Rebuild and start over. Out of violence, Lamech, okay, out of violence comes one of his kin, one by the name of Noah, and Noah's name means comfort. So out of a violent, outrageous culture comes one who will become a comfort to the world. It lasted for a while. The nations repopulated as we read through Genesis. And eventually it gets us to the place in chapter 11 where we find a place called Babel or Babel. Many of you, how many of you have heard the story of the Tower of Babel, right? Well, what had happened is that the land had been cleansed. The world had been repopulated initially by one who would bring comfort, Noah and his family. But it chose the other way again. You see, God will, will continually try to get our attention and will say, I'm not going to put up with this. And yet, at some point, when we feel that God is not around or God is not there or we don't have to pay close attention to Him, what happens? We begin the downward spiral again. Chapter 11 of Genesis, it says, Now for the whole world had one language and in common speech. As people moved eastward, 
they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. You see, there was a new technology, the brick. You may look at the brick today and say that's kind of an old technology, but it was new at that time. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Once again, mankind was choosing autonomy, rejecting God and his counsel, even worse, setting himself up above and separate from God. We're going to build a big tower to us. We don't want to be scattered. We have one language, and it was probably a stair-stepped ziggurat if you're into pyramids. But it will be a monument to us. And we won't care. We don't worry about God. We're running this place, and we're doing this. You see, man, apart from God, is a terrible judge of what is good and what is evil. But God breaks up the party, doesn't he? What happens? Well, he came down and confused their language, right? And he called it Babel, and all the people just scattered, and they went with people that they could understand, and they moved on. You see, they didn't realize that God was continually in control. Just when mankind thinks we've got it all under control, we don't need God. All we need is ourselves. God steps in and says, oh, you want to go talk to your buddy? You want to call him on the phone? Guess what? You sound like jibber-jabber. You're going to have to go. You're going to spread apart because I don't want this. Here's what's important as we look at Scripture. Scripture, if you read through thoroughly, you will find that there are patterns that emerge. Patterns that emerge that allow us to see what God is doing, how man continually seeks that low rut that he gets in and follows it. Even though God may lift him up, he's continually heading down to the rut. But we find that God doesn't give up on humanity. Though he may clean out the closet. He may clean it out. He's still holding on for that hope. And that's why I've titled this today, Why Abraham? What's so great about Abraham? Why was he a person of promise? Because God once again was starting anew. Humans reject God's blessing. Humans choose their own path. God makes corrections and has a fresh start. That's a pattern. God blesses Humans choose their own way, and then God corrects and God blesses. So we have, after all of this, we have Abraham. I need to make a little note about the structure of the book of Genesis. The first 11 chapters, okay, um, talk about the beginning of creation all the way to the Tower of Babel. In the first three verses of chapter 12, you'll have what is known as a hinge verse. So you can see like chapter 11, 
uh, 1 through 11, and then 12 to 50 over here. Right in the middle are three little verses that we're about to read in the first uh, few verses of the chapter 12. He says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those that bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. You see, once again, God was challenging a human to believe and to trust Him. He had a land. He had a people. But God said, I want you to go somewhere else. I'm going to send you to the land of Canaan. And He takes a nobody and says, I want you to look up at the stars. If you could count them all, they will be your descendants. That's crazy when you think about it. It, The question to Abraham is, would you exhibit faith in God? Okay. Would you exhibit faith in his character? Or will you believe in yourself? Will you trust in yourself? Would you be autonomous? Or would you trust in your creator? Would you accept unity and reject disunity. There is a popular belief, it's popular back then, popular now, that believing in God is a crutch. Believing in God is superstitious. Believing in God is an obvious weakness for the rational mind. That's true. If we just came by accident to this planet, all of the atmosphere and everything was so perfect, that was an accident. Everything that was needed for life was an accident. And you and I are some type of charged accident. If that's true, well, then it is pretty dumb to believe in God. But if you have a hint in your heart that there may be a creator, someone who did all of this, not by accident, but by design, then it is imperative that we do not ignore him. It's absolutely imperative. It's imperative that our leaders don't ignore him. It's imperative to all of us Because if there is a creator, then you and I are inextricably connected to him as his creation forever. And the way that he seems to have designed it, if these pages are true, is that there will be no prosperity of the human spirit in this land, any land, this earth, without our dependence upon him. Dependence upon God is not a sign of weakness. It's an admittance of weakness. 
It means that I am not designed to function fully without the interaction and, and working of God. And once you admit that, those who have faith and trust in Him, lives begin to change. Romans chapter 4, fast forward ahead, says, What then shall we say about Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, his own hand, his own efforts, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed Him. He believed Him. He trusted in Him. I'm going to make you a great nation. Okay, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to trust you. And as we go through the life of, of Abraham and Sarah, we're going to find that there were a lot of mistakes, a lot of problems, a lot of lack of trust. But the, at the end of the day, they maintained their trust and their hope in Him. And what happened? He becomes the father of everybody who believes in God. You get that? He points toward the Messiah. He is the, the picture of what it means to trust at God and take him at his word. He and Sarah. All right, people of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith, belief, is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for, Abraham and the rest of the gang. By faith, we understood that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen is not made out of what is visible. Pistis, it's the word for faithfulness, confidence, basis for belief, trust. It, occur, it occurs 243 times in the New Testament alone. Listen. It is impossible to please God without faith. Faith, the faith is spoken of here, spoken of these ancestors, spoken of the ancients, spoken of Abraham, is a faith that is, that is best described as a deep, unshakable, abiding trust in God. It's a deep, abiding, unshakable trust in God that says, I I will view what's going on around me based upon my relationship to you. And I will look through the lens of faith in you before I make an autonomous assessment of what's happening. The sky is falling. Everything's terrible. Everything's bad. Have you asked God about it? Have you talked to God about it? Have you looked through His ability, his power, looking through that lens to the current crisis or challenge in your life or in the world around you. Until we do, we have no pure 
perspective. We have the autonomous perspective. And as we've established from the beginning, human beings don't have a good track record of figuring out what's good and evil. That's why we look to our Father, all right? Hebrews chapter 11 says, and without faith, it is impossible to believe, to please God. I want to please God. Trust Him. Believe in Him. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek after Him. You've got to believe that. You're never going to please God apart from that. You're going to, never going to please God by saying, my way, I believe you're around, but I'm going to do my thing, and I just pray that you will bless me. That's not pleasing to God. Humility pleases God. Faith pleases God. You see, this is because we are travelers. We occupy the land that we've been given. We live in the circumstances that have been dealt to us. And by God's grace, we flourish according to His will. But I'm telling you, we're not there yet. This is not the final destination where you are right now. We, like the others, receive by faith what is coming. And we look to that and we work for that. And we believe for that. Don't you want a world where violence is over? Hallelujah! Don't you want a world where people don't hate each other because of the color of their skin? Don't you want a world eventually that is not divided by so many variant views of God that we start wars against each other, where there's no disease, pandemics, or pestilence, no poverty? You see, that is what He's promised in the end where we'll be back in that garden, in that city with God, with the river of God and the tree of life. This is not the end. Hebrews 11, and we'll be wrapping up soon. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place, will later receive it as inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in a promised land like a stranger and a foreigner in a country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of that same promise. For he was looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. You and I are on a journey. If you're... If you're a Christ follower, that, that means that you are in motion. It means you are following. You are in motion. If you're watching uh, by web or maybe even here in this fellowship today, you say, I haven't yet begun that journey. You should start today. You should start today. Because whatever trial, whatever challenge, whatever current pandemic that appears on the plane now is merely a punctuated period in linear time. But the faith and the promise lives beyond that. 
to a time that will be glorious for all mankind. All mankind. Everyone. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you haven't given your heart to Jesus, if you haven't called upon his name, you can do so this morning just by bowing your head, closing your eyes, and saying, God, I need you. I need forgiveness. I I give you my life. I give everything to you, and I want to begin to follow you to know you, to be filled with your spirit. I want to be on that journey full of hope, full of faith. You can do that today, right where you are. If you have, please let us know. We'd love to pray for you, send you some materials, reach out to you. Because we are all fellow travelers. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.